0: 11 if you will and we'll make sure it is Memorial Day weekend and uh, as I as suspected you know I we were coming in I told Linda I said well we'll be there and uh, who, come who comes who comes because it's the weekend it's a long weekend and we understand that and uh, folks are out and off and uh, if you weren't here and I wasn't here I'd be off too you know so I found a cabin in the woods but uh, it, and I was told, told then, I said, see, we could be in the cabin in the woods. And she's like, yeah, when pigs fly. So, and I said, well, they do fly, you're just throwing them. So anyway, all right, Romans chapter 11, if you will. And uh, we're now down in verse 26. And uh, as customary is, even though folks are missing, we don't stop for holidays. So we just kind of keep studying. And uh, they can catch it on YouTube or, or they're in on the live stream or whatever. So, uh, Verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, that's just, we're going to get down through that, I hope. Again, we are in this third section in the book of Romans, Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, the dispensational settings around the nation of Israel. And we just came out of verse 25, and we've come down through that wonderful section, honestly, about the olive tree and Paul using terminology that's very Jewish on purpose. And uh, if you look back up at verse 11, I, 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 it's always fascinating to me. You can ask 10 different preachers about this passage and you'll get 10 different answers. And Because everybody's got a little different But if you look at 11.11, I say then have they, and the they there is Israel coming out of verse 7 stumbled that they should fall god forbid but rather through their fall salvation has come unto the gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy and there's a provoking that's happened and and we've studied this through that stumbling they stumbled at the identity of the messiah which that stumble repre- resulted in the crucifixion of Christ but then they stumbled over the little flock in that early acts ministry there and that result in Acts 7, their fall. So, Israel, uh, politically, they have fallen back over here under Nebuchadnezzar. Now, spiritually, they are falling. They have fallen, okay? And that's what Paul's dealing with. Verse 12, he says, For uh, now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, think about that. The, he could never have said the riches of the world under Israel's program because the world had to go through Israel to get to the blessings, to get to the riches. Now the riches are going right to the world. The, I, I, you know, you saw that mess this past week in Texas and the shootings and all that stuff, and everybody's... But I sit back and it, it breaks your heart, you know, little guys doing it, that and, and that's a given. And, it, you know, it isn't the gun, it isn't this. It's just evil, and that's what it is. It's sin. But you think about that evil, that guy that pulled the trigger. You know what? He was rich, but he just didn't know it. He's rich in that what is God doing today? Grace and peace. See? And that's why we spent all this time. Uh, Verse 14, that's the verse I'm after. If by any means I may provoke to emulation. See, jealousy is one thing emulation is another thing so paul's acts ministry during that diminishing is really a provoking ministry and we looked at that we went in i showed you when he goes in as his manner was the first place he stopped was at synagogue and there's a reason why he's got a provoking ministry He also has a ministry to get that the church the body of christ starting but he's provoking. And the reason it's here and the use of the olive tree, the olive tree, that issue of the access to God, the access point to God. Now Gentiles have access to God without Israel, no barriers, riches of the Gentiles, riches. Salvation is sent unto the Gentiles and they'll hear it. I love that Acts 28, that last nail in the coffin. We're going to do so in verse 25 which is where we ended last time paul is really paul's giving the gentiles a warning in this whole section verse 13 he says for i speak to you gentiles and that is more than just the church the body of christ who is that gentiles it's everybody it's a broad audience here and he says listen guys If the casting away of Israel, verse 15, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? You know, what happens with us Gentiles? We think we're something, don't we? We think we're special. And he's going to literally warn us, verse uh, 17. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 18. Boast not against the branches. Don't boast against Israel thinking you're what? you're special, and we're replacing them. You're not replacing Israel. We're not spiritual Israel. And that's literally what Paul's doing here. He says, you see all of this this dispensational setting with Israel? And what God has done to Israel, he's right to do it. He's He's legal to do it. He hasn't broken any word. He can come over here now and do something new with the Gentiles. He's Cast Israel away; national Israel is cast away, and you have to catch the national part versus the individual part. Because what does 11:1 say? I was just talking with the guy this past week, and he's like, "But that Jew can get." I I go, "But you're mixing the national and the individual, and that's what 11:1." I say, "Then hath God cast away His people? God forbid." But wait a minute, Paul. You're going to tell me He's cast away Israel. But cast away Israel, how? Nationally. Because what does Paul say? For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. The Jew is still what? Savable. The individual. And that's literally, I mean, again, all these little nuances. And I sometimes don't think, I think we should have every nuance in mind. So thus we've been like 10 weeks in chapter 11, you know, because get every, and that's what's happening. So he uses the olive tree. To a Gentile, you know what the olive tree means? Absolutely nothing. It's an olive. We get olive oil. It's good to eat. It makes great bread. It looks good with the stuff in it, you know. But for a Jew, what's that olive tree? Oh, it's everything. So he uses language to provoke Israel to jealousy and to emulation emulation copycat you got to do now what the gentiles doing you got to come in by faith thou standest by faith he's going to say verse 20 well because of unbelief they were broken off why was the apostate nation broken off by the way that's who we're talking about is because of what unbelief who had unbelief apostate israel or the believing remnant You know, the believing remnant never lost their access to God. Why? Because they stand by faith. The apostate Israel broke those bad boys off. And what's ironic is when you get into the earthly ministry of Christ, we're in Mark 8. We saw some of this in Mark 7. The Lord is telling the Pharisees, you're going to be cut off. I'm breaking you off because of your what? Unbelief. When Stephen pronounces them uncircumcised in hearts and ears, what are they? They're in unbelief. That's where they are. So, in verse 25, I'm I'm sorry, verse 20, the end of that verse: "Be not high-minded, but fear." I, I I think about that. Why? Why is what's Paul doing here? Hey, Gentiles, don't think you are something special because you are now the center of God's attention. And he's changed the program because how do you stand? You stand by faith. That's it. And if you're not careful, what's going to happen? Well, one day, the end of the dispensation of grace will occur. We call that day the rapture, the gathering together, okay, the day of redemption. And when that happens, what's he going to do? He's got some things to do. And that's what verse 25 is, is that, well, that's what Paul's doing here. He's... Here's what's happened to Israel, and Gentiles, don't you get a fat head. Don't get wise in your own conceits, because one day, your ending, this dispensation of grace is going to end, and he's going to, verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. He's going to fix that. Don't you think, now we are special because he's doing something with us. We are savable. There's no barriers. Total, complete access. The the mediator between God and men is the man, Christ Jesus. We we have total access. But what what should we never think we are? Israel. And that's the warning, because what is our tendency? Well, our tendency, verse 19, thou wilt say then, thou, the Gentile, is going to say what? Well, they were broken off so he could get us, because we can get it done. Well, you can't get it done. So verse 25, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, we spent a lot of time last time talking about fullness, bringing the program to a completion versus the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles starts with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylon, it's a political reign. It's Leviticus 26, that fifth course of judgment where they're under Gentile dominion. And that thing's gonna go all the way out and it concludes at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at all that. So the fullness of the Gentiles is immediately what he's doing now. The times is that end of the prophetic program. But what I want you to catch is, again, we looked last time, be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own, that what? Blindness. You see, there's a mystery blindness happening to Israel, and it's, but it's a dispensational blindness. In other words, Israel is blind to, to the fact that they're cast away. They still think they are God's people, don't they? Look at them. To, go talk to a, a I know Orthodox Jew. Well, just go talk to someone who's of the Jewish faith, and you know what they think they are? Still God's people, but yet what, what is their condition before God? Their status. You're cast away. And then they are blind to what he's doing with Paul and the Gentiles. Well, and we know that because what'd they do? They got the lewd men of the baser sorts. They tried to kill the man. He's the guy with the message that's holding back the wrath. And yet what are they trying to do? String him up. And off we go. The other thing that's happening here, and this is getting, now all that's review, okay? Gets us into verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. What verse 26 is going get, to get us into now is the fact is, is that you, you, you can never, say, it is improper, it is error, to say that we replace Israel. Why? Because what's verse 26 say? All Israel, what? Shall be saved. So if all Israel shall be saved, future shall be, then guess what we're not doing? We're not replacing a future event, are we? Okay? So when you think about this, there, again, Paul is hammering home a point here. Israel's condition is temporary. And it, now, I think about that. It's been going on for, what, a little over 2,000 years. <laughs> could you imagine if a member of Peter's group was st- sitting around today going, It's been 2,000 years, Melba, well, let's go? You know, no. <laughs> yeah, well, could you imagine? What, they die off, age gets them, and yet here we are. So it's not legitimate to say that the church, the body of Christ, has replaced Israel or we are spiritual Israel or that we're carrying out the prophetic program. And I know what happens, you look around and you see all this stuff going on and what happens? Oh, it's matching prophecy, you know, COVID was the best one. The best thing I ever saw was the fact that the vaccine stuff was 666 and the mark of the beat. And I'm like, and then you get looking at who's pushing that and you go, they ought to know better, you know, but they don't and that's okay. And but there it is, again, what's gonna happen? Verse 26, God will fulfill their prophetic program. And it's going to happen the way he stated it and the way it started. And really, again, what's happening here is that's what Paul's pressing. Notice verse 26. All Israel. And so all Israel. Now, we have to be careful with that. Because what happens well, we forget chapter 9, don't we? Go back to chapter 9. And we need to remember when he says all Israel, he's not talking about all Israel. He's talking about, again, who's in belief? Believing remnant or apostate Israel? Who got, by the way, when he breaks off the branches, we're going to take a side road. Let's go run back to Matthew 3. Matthew 3, oh, it's Matthew 3, maybe, actually, Matthew 3, Matthew 3, you have John the Baptist, right, verse 11, he, or, well, verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptisms, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John the Baptist is the one that coined the, the phrase wrath to come. First place it's used in your New Testaments right there. Verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with what? Isn't that interesting? What's he going to do? He's going to, verse 12, he's going to, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly uh, purge his floor and gather his wheat in the garner. Who would be the wheat? There's a believing remnant, the little flock. And, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Who's he going to burn up? That apostate nation. The Antichrist is a rod of my indignation, he says, Isaiah. So what's going to happen, those broken off branches are going to be what? They're going to be taken care of. Now, go back to to Romans 9. So when he says, all Israel, we have to remember something about that. Because what have we already learned in this section? You see, Romans 11 is predicated upon you, first of all, knowing the first eight chapters because you know who you are, your identity in 6, 7, and 8 of Romans. But then in 9, 10, and 11, 11 is going to dictate that you are well aware of what's in 9. Because why? 11 comes after 9, and he's reaching back. Chapter 9, verse number 6. Paul says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. What did God do? Paul's re, he's bolstering up, he's reintroducing the issue of that, that, that seed line, the remnant menta- principle, okay? Because does Abraham have another boy out there? His name's Ishmael, right? Ishmael's got descendants. What can, who can they claim as their father? Abraham. They have a legitimate descendant claim to that. Isaac has... Uh, uh, Esau and Jacob. Esau has descendants. They have a legitimate claim. They're just in the wrong line, aren't they? (laughs) Okay. What do they have to do? They have to leave this line and get in this line. They have to cross over. By the way, how do they cross over? Genesis 17, the issue of circumcision is introduced. That's why he does that in Genesis 17. One of the reasons, he puts that wall of partition up. Why? Because he's got two lines of people coming out of Abraham. He's got Ishmael and Isaac. And if you want to be where Isaac is, what do you got to do? You got to climb over. You got to go through the wall to be over there, see. So, again, when he says all of Israel, he's talking about believing Israel. Paul in Galatians 6 calls them the true Israel of God. That's not that unbelieving element. It's the believing element. So what he talks here about, again, just because they can claim Abraham, go back to Romans 11, doesn't mean they're automatically into the kingdom. Actually, in the Lord's earthly ministry, he looks at them and says, I'm going to take the the kingdom from you and give it to a nation, and you guys are going to be sitting over here watching the Gentiles go into the kingdom, and you're going to be left out. Now, that's RJ's, my, my paraphrasing, okay? Why? Because they're unbelieving. They no faith. And that's the response God's always looking for is faith. So he says, verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved. Again, that little flock, that believing remnant, just because they are of the seed of Abraham doesn't mean they are a part of the little flock. Just like when he says salvation has come unto the Gentiles, not all Gentiles are saved. He's answered that in Romans 1 to 5. It's it's unto all, but it's only imputed to them that believe, upon all them that believe. So it's available, but it's limited to just those that stand by faith. Verse 26. As it is written. uh Uh-oh, now Paul's going to pull up the Old Testament. You Gentiles better know your Bible. If you're saying we're replacing Israel and we're doing this and that, you better know. And by the way, Israel, you need to know your Bible. Because what? As it is written, there's a deliverer, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant. So, what's he doing here? This is my covenant. You see, Paul is invoking a relationship issue here. That's why when we went through the olive tree thing, I told you this is a relationship, it's a place, it's a position. I know what people use it to go back to Abraham and the fatness and eternal life, and you can do that, but that's not what Paul's after. Paul's saying we have a relationship now. Now, in verse 26, I'm sorry, verse 27, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. The relationship between God and Israel is based upon a covenant. Our relationship with God is based upon what? Grace. Grace. Those are exclusive of each other. See, they're not, we don't have the same relationship. Come over to Ephesians 2. I'll just remind you here. People always get upset with me or with Paul because Paul introduces in the book of Romans a lot of doctrine, a lot of doctrinal ideas, no detail. You get to the book of Ephesians, and what does he give you? The details. So when he says, this is my covenant, he doesn't go into a long dissertation, but look at Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. What does he say there as he's talking about the dispensational? Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, that's your condition back there in the Old Testament. I love that, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood. What are we? We're rich now, aren't we? Now we have a, that covenant relationship that God had with Israel. The cross answered it, took care of it. Now, it doesn't go away. Go back to Romans 11. Who did the covenants belong to? Again, Romans 9 4. It belongs to Israel. It doesn't belong to us. So Israel, her prophetic program, the program about her and what's gonna, what God's going to accomplish through her in the land, in, well, in the earth, let's just go broader, okay? Is never has not been rejected. And that draws us to verse 29. I'm in Romans 11, verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The covenant, the issue of the covenant that he mentions in 26 and 27 links into verse 29 that God has entered into a covenant agreement with Israel, and you know what? He ain't changing his mind. He's not going to renege on it. He's not going back on it. He's not saying, hang on a minute, you know, you didn't do the right Sabbath. You know, he's not doing that at all. He's going to honor his word. So we have a, 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 a bring into the picture by Paul, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Okay. By the way, there is a Palestinian covenant, the land. The only reason why God had to make make that what we call the Palestinian Covenant is because Israel thought they were going to lose the land. Go back and read that back there in Exodus and Deuteronomy. They think they're going to get left out. And You know what God says in the Palestinian? I will put you in the land. Davidic Covenant, I will put a king on the throne. I will. That is God doing it regardless of the activity of the the recipient. The new covenant, I will. Now, Abrahamic covenant carries all of them. But what happened? Israel, because of their unbelief, what does God have to do? I will do this, okay? He's given his word, so the gifts and calling of god are without repentance. He's not going to renege on it, guys. Gentiles, you think you're you're the cats meow, you're nothing. You know, I love that Paul over there. Boy, he humbles us really quickly. Look at look around you. Not many mo, noble, not many mighty, not many Yeah, like yeah, I guess so, you know. Uh, growing up in Chicago there at Shorewood, we would always look around and go, "Man, why do we attract the weirdos?" You know, Because every time you turn around, there's somebody, you know, and I, I asked dad that one time, just as a kid, you know, I'm a teenager, and man, everybody's just weird. We're the norm, you know, and he's like, well, look at 1 Corinthians 1, what does Paul say is coming? All the weirdos, you know, I'm like, really? He goes, no, it's, and you're not weird, it's just, you know, when you think about things as a, as a teenager, all adults are weird, you know? But look around, you guys think, no, God is going to accomplish this. Now, the the thing in verse 29 is, why doesn't God break the covenant? And the hint, the answer is in verse 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Now, think about that. First of all, for us today, for Paul... That unbelieving nation of Israel, what are they? They're troublemakers. They're enemies. They stood, come over to Acts 15. They stood against Paul. By the way, they stand against you and I. If you talk to anybody, what do you quickly learn that the world loves? Not you. They don't love Christ. So religion hates us all. And that's, that's what they are. So for the gospel's sake, what are they? They're your enemy. Look at Acts 15. In Acts 15, we've got the meeting between Peter and Paul and, the whole, and everybody. But what I want you to look at, look at verse 19. Because this is after the big meeting. Uh, Galatians 2, they perceived the grace given, the, the message given, and the ministry given to Paul. They've given their right hands of fellowship. They're making the public announcement. Luke is sitting in the audience Recording what's being said from the, from the platform. And he says, verse 19, Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. If he has to say, and this is James speaking, by the way, okay, verse uh, 13, after they had held their James answered saying. If James has to say, we're not to trouble, then what is... The Jew doing, troubling them. Okay, keep reading. It's very int- verse twenty-two. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church. Wow. Peter, the apostles, James the preacher, the pastor there, the whole church. You know what they do? They're in total agreement about something. Isn't that fantastic? There's no qualm here in Acts 15. Now later, James does some goofy things later in Acts that kind of make you go, you know, he fell off the wagon. But no, watch. To send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barzabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brothers send greeting unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and and Cilicia. um, I'm sorry, Cilicia. Look at that territory Paul's already been through establishing Gentile churches. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls. See that? What do they do? They've become an enemy, haven't they? The, the, The church at Jerusalem there, that little, that, circumcision-believing remnant church, you know what they do? They send guys, they send a contingency with letters saying, these guys troubling you ain't from us. We're on board with you. We love you dearly. We're with you. Just remember the poor. Okay, which they were already doing, by the way. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things we're not here to cause trouble but when you go back to romans 11:28 what are they they're causing trouble something's why they're in unbelief they're not operating where they are then he says 11:28 but as touching the election now we've looked at that issue of election all through 9 10 and 11 election again not to salvate, we're never talking about justification We're talking about God's elect purpose. Election in Scripture is talking about service and serving. His purpose. He's got a purpose that's his. Okay? According to that, what are they? They are beloved for the Father's sake. You know what's happening with that? By the way, who would the elect be? Believing remnant. Okay? What are they? They're beloved for whose sake? For the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because he's got an agreement with them. He's made some promises with them. So why God doesn't just renege on the promise is because he knows there's that little believing remnant over here, that little flock that are destined to achieve, be the nation bringing forth the fruits thereof, and will be the ones who come along and fulfill out the promise, the covenants that he's given to them. So the elect here, so he then says, and again, I'm going to tell you, I think that's why he says verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Why? Because of that elect group, that believing remnant. He made a promise to the fathers. He's true to his word because he's made some promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's made some promises to, the, to David and his family. He's made some promises to the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. See? He's made some, so he's going to be what? True to his word. He's not a liar. There he is. Now, go back up to verse 26. So we got 25 minutes to do, about three hours worth of study, we're going to do it quick, okay? Because <laughs> next week I want to finish this section with probably one of one of the most wonderful doxologies that Paul lays in his epistles as he concludes this third section and then begins to set up the fourth section, 12 to, 9, 12 to 16, which is where everybody wants to go. You know, Everybody loves 1 to 5. They dabble in 6, 7, and 8, which they ought to be in love with 6, 7, and 8. <laughs> they skip over 9, 10, and 11, and then they take a big vacation and, and relax in 12 to 16 because that's where the practical. But you know what? You can't do 12 to 16 without 1 to 11. You got to have it, okay? So verse 26, "And so all Israel shall be saved. Why? As it is written, "There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins." a lot going on there to unpack. First of all, when does he take away their sin? When the deliverer comes out of Zion, see? But wait a minute, they're justified over here. Well, you got to remember what I, that thing in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, when I get to heaven and we find out who that is, going to get a big hug out of me. Because he looks at there and he says Abraham believed, right? Not receiving the promises, but what? Seeing them afar off that's how israel operated they knew it was a future get not a permanent or a pre, not a present possession what do we do present possession <laughs> and i think that's because that's how a gentile mind works because if we don't have it right now we're a little worried do we get it where a jew doesn't think that way they okay so where do they so that's in here but notice something here about the issue of what Paul's going to do. He's going to pull out Isaiah 59 and he's going to quote there to demonstrate the veracity of God keeping his word. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to honor the promises that I made to the fathers, to Israel. And I'm not going to let anything come along and stop me from doing what I said I'm going to do. Now, he cast them away. He interrupt their program. He set them aside. He diminished them away. So he can do what? That's what verse 24, he can naturally do what? Start it all back up again. It ain't no problem. Why? Well, one, he's God. But also, what Paul, Paul's doing something here as well. Now, let's go back to Isaiah 59 because of time. And let's catch the, the quote. Because Isaiah 59 doesn't quite say it the way Paul quoted it, which is an interesting thing. So Isaiah 59 verse 20, "And the redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that are that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of." thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and for how long? Forever. It's a, that's a long time. But notice carefully here verse 20. And the who? The Redeemer comes out. You see, the issue in Isaiah 59, because Paul says what? Out of Zion comes who? the deliverer. You see, for the issue in Isaiah is that issue of the transgression in Jacob. They, they again, now think about Jacob. He's a problem child, isn't he? He's, God calls him a restless one. What does he do? He tricks Esau. He tricks Isaac. He, he goes over there. He wrestles with the angel. He's duking it out with God. He's not, he doesn't calm down until he's on the run down the road. I, probably never calms down. Why? Because there's a transgression in Jacob. Now think about this. In Romans 11, when God interrupts Israel's program, the dispensational setting, how is Israel operating? Are they operating in the spirit of the new covenant, verse 21, Or are they operating in the spirit of Jacob, transgressing, fighting, resisting the latter? So what do they need, Isaiah 59? They need a redeemer. But didn't he come? He's already come, hasn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ. Mandate one, office one, redeemer. But now when Paul quotes it, Paul says what? Deliverer. Because what's next on Israel's program? Not the Redeemer, but who? The Deliverer. You see how he does that? Now, go back to Romans 11, because you've got to catch that. There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their... When are they taking away their sin? When the Deliverer comes. The second coming happens. See, the Redeemer has been fulfilled. That office, that mandate has been accomplished. Calvary accomplished that. That's why you'll hear Paul say, according to my, according to my gospel, the Lord was raised, the seed of David was raised again, according to why, man, Paul, what do you, and that, that's in Tim, over there to Timothy, why do you say it like that? Why? Because what does Paul's gospel do with Calvary? it puts that last progressive revelation information on board and he says that the messiah of israel the one who died is our savior our redeemer but he's also israel's savior israel's redeemer that's been done he ain't going to be visited again but now when israel is to be saved what's going to happen the next step the deliver do you follow that you see how paul makes that little subtle shift now, again, you read the commentaries, they usually go right over it. They don't catch, well, they catch it, they just don't know how to handle it because they don't believe the Redeemer has, you know, they have their own agenda. But see, the thing is, is what Paul does here is Paul, God will resume Israel's program again. He's, he doesn't replace Israel with the, with the church, you know, that code word, I, Israel means church, no. He doesn't replace it with the. He's going to pick her right up where he interrupted her. Now, again, where did he interrupt her program? Acts 7, what does Stephen see? He sees the glory, the angels ready to come back and pour out wrath. He sees the Lord standing up. That picture of time to come out and judge. Be an advocate for the believing remnant. It's time to judge. It's time to get on. Well, what he does that in prophecy as their deliverer so there's a catch here that's happening and again what Paul is getting at is something that he's already mentioned to us look back in back to Romans 11 if I didn't tell you that go back to verse 11 again because what Paul is dealing with is Israel's fullness he dealt with the Gentiles' fullness, the completion of the church, the, the, the dispensation of grace. Okay? By the way, the church, the body of Christ doesn't end the, when the DOG ends. We go on for how long? Forever. How, how do you know that? Ephesians 2.7. Ages to come. But the dispensate, the dispensing of grace and peace comes to a conclusion. Now it's back to wrath and war. And anguish and desolation and floods and rumors of wars and all this stuff. And then he comes back and says, "Eh, time to deliver you and avenge you so that I can be your king and I can be your blesser. The five mandates of the Davidic covenant. Paul picks up and says, listen, that redeemer mandate is done. He will never die again. He died once. Now he's going to pick Israel up right where she should have been, which is Acts 7, and it's time for the Deliverer to come. So out of Zion is going to come roaring who? Not the Redeemer. He's already roared. Now the what? The Deliverer. Because of, again, what he's given us a picture in 11:11. I say then have they stumbled that they should fall God forbid but rather through their fall salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles and here it is how much more remember we looked last week about that how much more much more that Pauline term phrase much more much more he did this and he's gonna much more you oh, took you back to Romans I love Romans 9 did he die for your sins? Yes. Much more, he saved you from the wrath to come. <laughs> if he can do that, man, he sure enough can do that. See what, How much more their what? Their fullness. What's their completeness going to, what's their program going to co, do? It's going to come back with him as the deliverer. That's the next step. And then it's going to come back with what? The avenger. By the way, the deliverer and avenger are together. But they're separate entities, okay? To deliver someone is just to free them from the situation. To avenge it is to wipe out the situation so it never comes back. See, I can deliver you from the heat by putting on the air conditioning. But I can't wipe the heat out until when? About November, December, say, okay? So the avengement is there. But guess what happens in May? It comes right back, (laughs) okay? So we, we lose. So in verse 26, when Paul talks here about, hey, the, he's talking about the fullness of Israel. He's talking about, again, right now, what's their status? Verse 15, they're cast away. Cast away. Thrown out. We've been cleaning the garage for like the fifth time. It's an ongoing process. Okay, but we've got like five households in there, now we're down to two. Well, counting the kids, three, four, okay, because we, we got a Ricky stack and an Emily stack and a Danielle stack, and Ricky and Danielle own homes, so guess where those stacks are going, to their homes. Emily, she's still in transition right now, so we cut out a little caveat. I'm trying to get the car in the garage, you know, and it ain't, I've never had a car in the garage. When I built my, I'm building my 58 Chevy right now, and it sits on the side under tarps. Why? Because I can't get it in the garage, right? So the summer comes, and everything gets covered up and secure for the summer because it's too hot to do anything. I, I tried to paint the other morning, just do some spray, spray paint on a little piece, and by the, before it could get to the, uh, to the surface, it was already going away. So now the surface is here and I'm like right here. Shh. so you know what happens? Runs. And I'm like, duh. So now I gotta strip it all down again and redo, you know. Why? Because I was trying to do something and it was already ninety five out and that's too hot for so Linda's like, Are you gonna ever paint? I go, one day, you know. And I can't afford to go get somebody to paint it for me, so I'm doing it myself, you know. But anyway, that has nothing to do with any of this. It just mandating. Paul is talking about their full, the fullness of, of Israel. It's not happening today, but she will. It will happen one day. And what Paul, Paul uses, deliverer. Now, again, as it is written, it's not, and so it will be fulfilled. It says what he says. What as it is written, It isn't being fulfilled today. It's out there. Okay. Now we got just a few minutes. Come back over to Isaiah nine. And I I, think because we're going to pick up now in verse 30 next time and finish out the chapter. Actually, 1130, for as ye in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. Again, that's just the principle of how this works. How's God working? He's not violating any tenets of the faith or any of that. He just says, "Hey, they didn't believe I'm doing this. One day you're gonna not bully, and I'm gonna do this." Okay. By the way, it's his timeline. Okay, Isaiah nine. I was listening to a, a, a brother, and he was talking about how you can use uh, Romans eleven, there, verse 21, 20, The if and if you continue, and then boom, you'll be cut off. And he was using it as the if-then condition which is not. It's a statement. of fact, And he was using it as a mechanism to identifying when we could see the end of the dispensation of grace. So I was really interested, okay? But that is on God's timeline. It's not here, <laughs> you know? I, Paul, actually, Paul's told us how he's going to end it, the same way he began it. If you love this appearing, you'll love that appearing too. How was it? Suddenly, quickly, loudly, ba-boom! That's how he's going to end it. Anyway, Isaiah 9, give you a chance to find. And look at verse 6, Isaiah 9, 6. Here's the five. Here's Paul uses the deliverer because it's the next mandate of the Davidic covenant. And the covenant, the Davidic covenant, we're not going to go back and look at it. I'll just give you this. If you look at Isaiah 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. And that's the Merry Christmas, Happy New Year part of that verse, okay? But keep reading. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Now, think about the government. When God talks to Israel about the government, he invokes David and David's family and the family of Jesse. Okay, so when you go back and you read all of the things about the Davidic covenant, it's got Jesse and it's got David. And then it's got Solomon. So that's who we're talking about. Wonderful. Now, there's a comma after wonderful. The New Bibles pull that comma out and make him a wonderful counselor. No, wonderful, comma, counselor, comma, the mighty God, comma, the the everlasting father, comma, the prince of peace. Those five titles are the five mandates of the Davidic covenant. Wonderful. There's the Redeemer. Okay? There's book one of Psalms. Psalms has five books. Book one of Psalms is Psalms 1 to, chapter 1 to 41, okay? Then he says, counselor. Now, when you counsel someone, what are you trying to do to them? Deliver them from whatever is going on. Give them some peace, some help. Deliver. There's mandate two, the deliverer. There's Psalms, uh, book number two, chapter 42 to 72, Okay? By the way, wonderful redeemer. We see that in the book of Ruth with the kinsman redeemer. Okay, The deliverer, we see that pictured in Israel's history in the book of Judges with Gideon. What does he do? He delivers. Then we have the mighty God. There's the avenger. There's the destroyer of the enemies. He's the mighty God. There's book three of the Psalms, uh, 73 to 89, but we see that in the judges as well. But do you remember a guy by the name of Samson? And what did he do? Pushed him down. He avenged the mockery. Ba-boom. Then we have the everlasting father. And there's the the blesser, okay? He's going to be the blesser. And that's the fifth book of Psalms. But then we have the Prince of Peace, and there's the King. And there's the fourth book of Psalms. By the way, as the blesser, as king, we see that in who? Who's the king of Israel? David. There he is. He's the king. But who's the blesser? Solomon. No, the half wasn't told. The Gentiles are, I ain't queen of Sheba. She's bringing it. If I'd have known, I'd have brought it all. <laughs> Brings that blessing in. So you have those mandates. Now, come over to Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, by the way, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Sol- Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Those five middle books in your Old Testament, if you will. Because after that, you have the Prophets. All right. So if you think about the makeup of your, of your Old Testament, the first books, you have history. Genesis to Esther. History. Then you have heart. The heart of the little flock. And Job to Song of Solomon. Here's how the little flock's going to think. That's why Psalms and Proverbs gets used so much as devotional. Why? Because it talks about the heart and how you're thinking. And then from... Uh, Isaiah to Malachi, you have the prophets. So you again you have so you have history and you have heart and then you have hope. If you need the H's, okay. In the heart, in Psalms, the five books sit there, and those five books again, the first 41 chapters is about the Redeemer. We see that in in in, in Ruth and the cross. And each of these books have core Psalms. Now, the core psalms prove that the one fulfilling the mandate is the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow that? So, the core of the first book is Psalms 22, 23, and 24. Who's that all about? My shepherd, I shall not want. My, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken the cross? There's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the second book... Is the book of Deliverance, and that starts. Come over to Psalms 50, and, and this is not in the. This is just an appendix to to uh, Romans 11, but it, it's something that I think is very fascinating. The Psalms, uh, the book two starts in Psalms 42 and runs to 72. The core Psalms of this book are 50 to 60. So Psalms 50, look at verse 1, the mighty God, even the who? The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, what's he going to do? Hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty God hath shined, our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tumultuous around about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Woo, what's he going to do? He's going to come back. And when he roars out of Zion, what's he going to He's going to deliver. But notice something. Notice in verse 4, He's going to judge his people. You see that? And then in verse 5, gather my saints. You see that? Look at verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. Verse 16. But unto the wicked God saith. Do you see? we got some people groups here, don't we? We got people, my people. By the way, who would my people be? Israel. But then he's got saints. Who is that? Little flock, believing remnant. Why? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But unto them which did receive him, what did he do? He gave them the power to become the sons of God. So you got apostate Israel, and you got believing remnant. And the believing remnant is who's crying this. They're singing it. Song of Moses. Here's the song of David. Well, this is Asa, but here it is. They're singing their doctrine. That's fantastic. They're being delivered. By the way, verse 5, he says, that made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Well, sacrifice of what? Well, look at verse 13. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? The answer is no. Why? The blood of bulls and goats never did anything. They never satisfied anything, right? Offer unto God, what? Thanksgiving. And pay the vows unto the Most High. And call upon Him in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Look at verse 23. Whosoever offereth praise glorify me. Glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright, will I share, I shall, I'm sorry, I show the salvation of of God. Chapter 51, I'm going quick, quicker now, verse 15, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest not in burnt offerings, the sacrifice of God, or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. See what the sacrifice is? It isn't the animal thing, it's a what? It's a broken and contrite heart and spirit. By the way, that's a heart of belief. Isn't that fantastic? You see, he's looking at them saying, listen, you know what what I want? I don't want them stinking sacrifices. That stuff is just grotesque. I want your heart. That's fantastic. That's what the believing remnant, that's what Paul's referring to. He's referring there in 11:26 to 29 that, hey, that believing remnant knows what's going on. Because you know what they're waiting for? Just like Peter and James said, he's just visiting the Gentiles. We got to get ready because, man, when he's done, what are we going to, we're going to sing. We're, oh, look at Hebrews 13. Sorry. I didn't mean to just get excited here. This is all exciting. I have goosebumps. I don't know about you guys, but I do. Every day I teach, every time I teach, I get goosebumps. Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. Look at that. What's pleasing? The praise, the, the thanksgiving. Isn't that something? Romans 1, Paul says, you know what the heathen weren't? They weren't thankful. What does he say? He, you can eat anything that's been, what, with thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, you sit down, Lord, thank you for the food. Boom, boom, you know. Maybe that's as quick as you need. Growing up with the ki- raising the, 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 the twins and the, uh, the triplets, it was, thank you, Lord, eat. <laughs> you know, why? Because kids, but look at what's going on. So when we come into Romans 11, now that's going to set up, by the way, this wonderful doxology at the end of Romans 11 now that Paul's going to lay in, and we'll get into that next time. That little flock understood what was going on, folks, in Paul's day, okay? they're not around today, they're dead. But in Paul's day, they understood it. They got it. They knew that, you know what the next step is? The deliverer, avenger, king, blesser. We're on board. So you guys leave Paul and them alone. Let them do. Let's sit over here and let's get ready. Let's finish up the Hebrew epistles. Let's get our stuff together. Let's get our, our, everything on board. Because, man, when God's done with them, he's coming right back to us. And when he comes back to us, if we're not ready, we're going to be in trouble. And I could just imagine the last dying thoughts of Peter as he dies and says, Lord, I thought you were coming. You know? <laughs> Why? Because he did. That's how they, oper- they understood what was going on. They're anticipating that, and so is Paul. Now, he's Saul of Tarsus, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He knew what the five mandates were. He knows that law. He doesn't understand the spiritual as Saul of Tarsus. He does now, though, doesn't he? He says, hey, they're ready, okay? All right, time to quit. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we thank you for the insight, for the look into your wonderfulness, your gracious grace, your mercy, your long-suffering, your forbearance. And Lord, I just pray that in the end of the day, we would be thankful for it. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we'll see.